Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you on this Tuesday, January the 5th of 2021. And as always, it is a delight for us, me and my brothers, uh, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando, who are joining me on this podcast. As always, it is a delight and honor for us to come to you and study the Word of God together. We, as always, take the time to thank you, the listener, for joining us and for making us part of your fellowship and part of uh, this fellowship as we study the Word of God in depth from a prophetic lens. And as always, God is always speaking to us, and as things are happening, as things are coming about, we are seeing prophecy being fulfilled. And in that manner, we are excited about 2021 because we know the word of God and we know that that all these things that are happening are written already for our admonition and for example and samples unto us to be able to glean from it so we're going to get into the word of God today i am excited about always the study of the word of God there's nothing more important than to study the word of God so brother marty we'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We welcome you to the second podcast of 2021. Things are heating up out there, and we know that uh, in many ways it's just beginning. And so we're going to continue our studies as we truly are seeking the Lord for direction, not only for our own individual families, but also always mindful of all of you that are listening out there and we want you to know how much we're praying every day for you and for your families as we cover your prayers also i want to make an announcement today uh tomorrow wednesday uh we won't be having a podcast uh tomorrow is january the 6th and the nation is gathering uh, in washington dc uh to decide and in many ways determine the uh, direction uh, of, of the nation itself. Uh, forces are at work. Uh, they're saying that there's over a million people that will be gathered in Washington, D.C. tomorrow. And I think it's a time that we should take and set aside uh, to pay attention to what's happening throughout the day. Um, anything is possible. And, uh, and so we're really praying for the nation. And I encourage you to pay attention tomorrow uh, remember, there are three hours ahead of us if you're on the West Coast. So, and I know that many of you listen from different parts of the country and even different parts of uh, of the world as we've received some emails from as far away as Australia, South Africa, even India. We've had people contact us through Instagram and and different things that uh, that are are following our podcast. So, we're going to take tomorrow aside and and pay attention to what's happening. It truly is one of the most momentous, if not the most momentous time our nation has seen, quite possibly <clears throat> since the since really the Revolutionary War when the nation was born. And so tomorrow, like we said, we will we will be uh, we will be spending our time throughout the day paying attention to what's happening, praying for the people, praying for the nation, and uh, God determines what is going to happen. And we believe we've reached a point now. Seriously, and I'm being very serious. You know, I'm of the opinion, uh, really beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we are living in prophetic days. 
uh, these are days that are not just days which might be prophetic. No, I believe indeed prophecy, that is prophetic scripture. It is being fulfilled right before our eyes. If you have eyes to see, you know this. The Holy Spirit's been showing this this reality that we're in uh, to all that are truly seeking the Lord right now. And that's really what we should all be doing and, uh, and pursuing him in these times. Trust me. Uh, there's not very many people, unfortunately, in the church that are doing that. They're they're following visions, dreams, pseudo prophetic words, but truly seeking God and 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 being in the prophetic scriptures, being in the Bible itself, and asking the Holy Spirit to guide them. Very little and very few people are doing that. It's it's really always been that way throughout time, if you think about it. God has always had a remnant and but it, it, i'm confident that you that are listening to us you're not in that crowd or you wouldn't be listening to these bible studies um, that we're seeking god over but we've been taking this journey together and indeed i believe that prophecy is being fulfilled before our eyes you know the beginning of 2020 opened with a global pandemic the whole world is is really still as we've come into 2021 it is under a state of lockdown and instead of loosening restrictions, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but restrictions are being increased. And the lockdowns around the world are getting more severe. Uh, I was reading articles over the last few days. And, and then this morning again in Scotland, in England, in Germany, France, Italy, just to name a few. And now in the USA, our major cities from San Francisco to L.A. to New York City, et cetera. You know they're 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 beginning to impose even more stricter guidelines. Now, whatever you believe or don't believe, I'm not here to argue that. But what they're saying right now is that that there's a new strain, and this is what it, uh, the Western European nations are coming up under right now. <clears throat> they're 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 saying there's a new strain of this virus, which is even more infectious than what we've been witnessing to this point and it's now beginning to emerge around the world i'm of the opinion uh that this isn't by accident but that's not our subject today uh around the world uh the, you know this is happening and it was first detected over uh the weekend during the christmas holidays when we were all with our families into that weekend i first began to notice articles and then it was uh in London, England, where the strain was first announced, this new mutation, as they're calling it, which has uh, now begun to appear in Western Europe and also has now come to the United States, um, which I find very interesting as far as the locations. It was first reported in Los Angeles, Colorado, and in Florida. And if you look at a map, that's like, you know, the, uh, the one end of the country to the middle of the country down to the other end of the country. It's almost as if it's 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 strategically uh, emerging in those locations, uh, and as we know, um, almost as if they want it to spread throughout the rest of the nation, and so we're going to put it in the one end, in the middle, and the other end, and see what happens. Well, what's ex beginning to happen is that a new strain indeed is breaking forth, or whatever you want to call it, and it seems to be really, really impacting many, many of our major cities, and now even this morning I read... Uh, the first case of this new mutated virus has broken out in New York City. 
um, pay attention, really, because it's just beginning. And uh, and we are only in January 5th of 2021. And I want to talk to you about tomorrow, tomorrow, January the 6th, as you hear this recording. Today's the 5th. Uh, a million plus, and really uh, out of that million plus people that are gathering, they're mostly evangelicals. Uh, and they're gathering in the capital city of Washington, D.C. Um, most of them are, are uh, evangelical Christians, really, uh, if, if you were to take a poll. And what they're seeking to do is to demand that Congress will overturn the 2020 election, the November 3rd, 2020 election. I am of the opinion, and some of the things I'm going to say today are probably going to upset some of you, that's not my design. I'm not in. I'm not in a political movement, man. Uh, and neither are my brothers. We are looking for the kingdom of heaven. And so I'm not demeaning the people that are gathering. I get it. I understand. Uh, it, <laughs> I just believe that that we have entered prophetic times, and 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 many have yet to figure that out. And what they're fighting for now, and what I look at now, and and I don't question the sincerity or the desire to see something. Um, you know, <laughs> happen, you know, the desired outcome. I understand. I get it. But one of the things that I think we have all, if we'll be honest, must admit, even like the prophet Daniel admitted, when he understood the prophetic times were upon him, he set himself to pray. And when he began to pray, he began with repentance. He began with repentance for his own personal failure. And, and then he went into praying for the rest of the people. But he came to the place where he approached God on that, on that basis of acknowledging what brought the nation, his nation of Judah, to that point of captivity. I have seen almost none of that. It's as if we have wrapped ourselves in a political ideology uh, that is sprinkled with incorrect understanding of prophecy. Many of these people that are marching over to Washington right now and, uh, and, and, and in full tomorrow have been led by preachers and, and really hyper-charismatic pseudo-prophets and conspiracy theorists, if you will, of the, of the fringe element um, that have got these people uh, Lord, you don't hear the gospel. You don't hear movements based on scripture. So they're gathering in Congress to overturn the uh, to get them to overturn the election results. But I believe it's a very dangerous move. What we're witnessing right now. This is incredibly dangerous. What's happening? And like I said, it's prompted by the so-called charismatic Pentecostal prophets. I'm talking to the church right now. And, and, and these prophets, these false prophets that are calling the people to rally and demand that the nation's leaders at least review the obviously skewed 2020 election results. But if you can see it, and that's what we're going to look at today because I believe we have a word from the Lord. If you can see it, I believe what we are witnessing on a very vast scale across the West and now culminating here in the United States is quite possibly a repeat of the last days of the of the public ministry of Jesus Christ and I'll and we'll and we'll take it from that perspective just before his arrest his trial his crucifixion 
indeed historical events, yet with massive prophetic implications that tie to the end of time, and we'll see that as we go along. And I believe that the church, much like his disciples did, they're making a big mistake right now. They're making the same mistake, and we're going to see what the disciples did as Jesus led them to Gethsemane, the place that they really didn't understand they were headed to. And once they got there, how they reacted is in many ways what we're seeing happening right now. Understand this, that for, for three and a half years of, of the Lord's ministry, many times the people tried to make the Lord the king. They wanted to establish his, his kingdom. Many times, if you read in the Gospels, they went to make him a king, and he would withdraw himself every single time he rejected it. He could have assembled an army. He could have incited the crowds to follow him to Jerusalem and uh, to overthrow the compromised religious ruling elite and political leaders of their day and their spiritual leaders. He could have then marched them all the way to Rome and institute the kingdom of God on earth. But he didn't do it. Instead, as we've seen, when we arrive at the Last Supper, we discussed this over the last couple of podcasts of 2020, he's with his disciples in the upper room of the Last Supper. There weren't any crowds there. No palm branches in the road with shouts of Hosanna to the king. No, instead, he he then leads his disciples to Gethsemane, to the Mount of Olives. Not to an earthly glory and a military victory. He led them to Gethsemane. That's where he took them to. And then he begins to reveal to them that night what was lying ahead. That's what we're going to discuss today, what is lying ahead. And so we're going to begin our study this morning for a few moments. Uh, And I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy if he wouldn't mind reading to us. If you have your Bibles, we're in the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 22, verse 7. And Brother Jeremy, would you begin reading there, please, as we seek the Lord's grace, the anointing of his spirit, and the opening of the scriptures in Jesus' name. Brother Jeremy. Amen. And Brother Marty, did you say verse 37? Oh, I heard you seven right now. Uh, Verse 37. Verse 37. Mm -hmm. Okay. Amen. For I say unto you that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So what he begins to do now is begin to reveal to them where they're headed, much as he's been doing over the last year, and several years really. But as it pertains to our own gathering, the journey we've been on as brothers and sisters, 2020, I believe he's been revealing this. And he tells them, Two separate things. He begins to reveal to them first that there's something that has to be accomplished in him. And then he says he was reckoned amongst the transgressors. So that's the first thing that he he was revealing to them was headed uh, their way. And then the second thing he says is that the things concerning me, they have an end. So the first thing he does is he begins to reorient them. He begins to 
point them to the scriptures in verse 37. He says, uh, I say unto you that this that is written must be accomplished. See, one of the things that we're missing, the, the real chief component that we really have been missing as a whole across the nation in the West, but things have come to rest here in America. That's what tomorrow's all about, really. The forces of darkness are contesting over this land. And, and it's no different than what was happening back in the day you know, of Jesus's public ministry, the disciples were moving in a certain direction. Remember, the popularity of the Lord it created a, a misunderstanding amongst the population that was following Christ. There was this swell of expectation. It really began when John the Baptist started his ministry and began to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we saw a movement across the nation of Israel, that is, that began to cause a swell of expectation, joy, and all the other things that you read about in the Gospels. Jesus, as, as, as John described him, uh, the only begotten of the Father, we beheld his glory. Peter says we saw his majesty. Many times the Lord is projected as this Nordic-looking man with sandals on holding a lamb underneath his arm, right? You know, but... The truth of the matter is, is that Christ was magnificent to behold. When Isaiah talks about him as uh, having the quality that they did not desire, he wasn't talking about his appearance. What he was talking about was his mission. They didn't understand his mission. They didn't understand that even though there's, you know, there was a time in Christ's ministry where it was the thing. I mean, we've read, how many times have we read stories in the gospel that, that reveal that there were so many people surrounding him that they couldn't even sit down to have a piece of bread. And that every for him, or, or when you look at crowds that would be uh, gathered around him by the thousands. I mean, when, when we read about him feeding the 5,000, right? I mean, you know, throwing women and children, you're looking at, you know, 12, 15,000 people in a hill in, 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 in Capernaum there, and he feeds, feeds them all. And wherever he went, the fame of him spread. And so a misperception, if that's a word, uh, an incorrect perception of the times was at hand. And, and so they, they, they mistook a swell of emotion for, uh, for the time, uh, for the timing. I mean, they, they, they actually thought that this whole thing, as it was culminating, when they would come into Jerusalem, like I just mentioned, at the end of his public ministry, they're there by the thousands. It's Passover season. They're lining the roads. They're shouting that he's the king. In other words, they were they their understanding of prophecy was off. And, and so they reacted in the wrong way. And every single time that those kinds of events happened, the Lord uh, was, took extreme pains to disassociate himself with that, to remove himself from the exuberance of men. As a matter of fact, I think it was John who said, understanding the hearts of all men, right? He withdrew himself from them. Uh, so his mission was so much higher and so much greater than they understood at the time. 
and it, it now culminates here. Three and a half years, the you know, the 70 are gone. I mean, he's down to the last 11, really, as he heads to Gethsemane. And he, he's got one amongst them that's seeking to betray him. And yet there's still this hard, uh, you know, wrapping their minds around exactly what it is that's coming. And all the while he's been trying to tell them that what's coming is not what you think. That there is a cup that I have to drink. And then he asks that most haunting question, really, because it's echoed down through the ages, and, and it is where we anchor in our fellowship with them. He asked them, can you drink of the cup that I'm about to drink of? And John and James told him, yes, we can. He says, well, you're going to. But what he had to do, only he could do in its initial payment of the price, I guess is the best way to say it, something they really didn't understand. But he, he tries to orient their understanding. Another thing we need to understand is that the times themselves, this night as they had to Gethsemane, their Gethsemane moment, because they all experienced it together, understand that, that, that the conflict of all the ages is coming down to this moment. And so the feeling in the air, if you will, is one that is charged with that foreboding sense that something's not quite right. Of course, he knew, and he always knew, and he always tried to anchor them in the scripture. That's why he says in verse seven, uh, 37, I'm telling you that this that is written has to be accomplished. It's as if he's like taking the slack out of a belt or whatever, you know, you can almost hear the crack of the leather as he's trying to tell him, get yourself together. You don't understand. This is prophetic moments, prophetic times, and the root of what's about to happen is, is in the scripture. That is the anchor of our understanding for our times. We must understand what is written or we will find ourselves in precarious positions precisely because we're ignorant of what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So he draws them to what is written, and he says what is written must yet be accomplished. That's timing. He's reorienting them and telling them that the time that has come is quite different than they are able to understand, and that it's something in that case that only he would be able to accomplish. And then he reveals it to them in verse 37. He says, the time uh, must yet be accomplished in me. And then he quotes the scripture, he was reckoned among the transgressors. Very prophetic implications for our time as well. Christ is living out in, 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 in the beginning what is going to also befall his church in the end we have reached those times. He was reckoned as one who breaks the law. In our time, we could almost look at it as what's coming, this global reset, the bear that we talked about in Daniel 7, the bear that implements a law, a global law. If you want to look at it in a deeper sense, we also are going to be reckoned as lawbreakers, even as our Lord was. But then he stops there. And, he, and then he reveals the second thing, which is verse 37, the things concerning me 
have an end. This is the second time he uses the word me. In the first case where he says, it is written, uh, that that is written must yet be accomplished in me, is a different word than when he says, for the things concerning me have an end. He uses me twice, but the meaning of the word me is two different meanings. And it's important to understand them because it sets the tone to unveil and reveal to us what it is he's trying to communicate. The first me, he's taking all to himself and only he could do it. He's identifying himself with what will ultimately be the price that he pays on Calvary and the resurrection and all the other scriptures we could talk about. But the second me, he uses this phrase, the things concerning me have an end. That word me, like I said, is different than the first me. The me that he's talking about here in verse 37 comes from the word imu. And what it literally means is, is, or actually the root of it is makthos, I'm sorry. What it literally means is, is to be in toil, in sadness, painfulness, and in travail. It goes on to reveal a hard and difficult labor, distress. In other words, something, he's liking it to the birth of a child, something is being born. Something uh, is going to be brought forth. Like a woman in travail, though, however, which he has mentioned before, earlier on that night, he was talking about their heart being filled with sorrow. And then he reminds them of a woman in travail, that at first her pains don't, of course, aren't, 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 aren't you know, something that you really want to experience. But once the child is born, uh, she forgets the pain for the joy that a man has been born into the earth. He was really referencing his resurrection and, and, and the whole thing that was causing that part of what God was doing to come to birth. But he's speaking to his disciples and he's leading them to this place so that they too will experience this. And what he wants them to understand is that a difficult and hard thing is what is at hand. And, and I'm leading you here, and you still don't get it, but something's being born. We need to understand at a, very, at a very deeper level here that every generation of the church has taken, has taken its place in the unfolding of prophetic timing and what is being born in the earth. A church has been being born, but more than that, the culmination of it is the kingdom of heaven coming to, to the earth and the establishment of what Jesus told us to pray coming into its fullness, that uh, thy will be done as in heaven, so upon the earth. So he's, he's, he's alerting them to the fact that hard and difficult times, like a woman in travail, are upon them now. And, and really... Their response to this, <laughs> uh, and again, he told them this is written in the prophetic scriptures, right? It is written. But their response to this showed that they, they didn't discern, they didn't understand, and really, brothers and sisters, in many ways, this is what the American church has yet to understand. Brother Jeremy, could you read verse 38? Listen to what they and said. They, amen. And they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. 
and he said unto them, It is enough. It's really interesting because this is so revealing as they're heading to a Gethsemane moment. They're yet thinking about uh, taking up arms. That's really what they're saying. Because what he's describing to them in their in their inability to deter to to really uh, discern what he's saying, their response is almost to like give him some comfort. You know, they say because uh, he's talking about distress, he's talking about pain, he's talking about you know this is a travailing time, and and they're thinking in their minds. Uh, by the way, they responded was well we're going to prevent that. We we got a couple swords here. Ain't nothing going to happen. You know, but he, he said, that's a, it's enough. You don't, <laughs> you're you not thinking the right way, but, and I don't want to get too deeply into all that, but other than to say what their, what their response was, <clears throat> they were, they were yet, they yet were like wrapped in an incorrect understanding, a lack of knowledge concerning prophecy. He was just talking to them about prophecy and more importantly, their prophetic time. I don't want to make any of you mad, but in many ways, they were like the MAGA church of their day. We probably call it MAGA, right? Make make Jerusalem great again, right? I mean, that's that's how they were thinking. Make make uh, Jerusalem great again. Make Israel great again. The MAGA church. Uh, they were like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were political. And and truly, brothers, they were spiritually entitled. We have two swords. That's how they're thinking. We're going to be aggressive in our approach in this time. That's what I continue to harp on you about, is that when they selected to make these statements, it reveals to us they're completely in the opposite direction of the way that God is leading his church at their time and in our time. I think what we're witnessing right now is the same thing. There's a call by many to take up arms if they don't get their Mm -hmm. way. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, brother. What were you going to say? I think it's very interesting, Brother Marty. In verse 36, he says, He who hath no sword, let him sell his garment right and buy one. Here the disciple says, No, we got two swords. And it reminded me of the times of, of, of when Saul, King Saul, was king. And the Bible said that there was only two swords in Israel one was with Saul. The other one was with Jonathan. And what we see here prophetically is, um, you know, the, the sword <laughs> that, that I know he's talking about is the word of God. But mm-hmm. we see a likening here of what the people are doing today, yeah. going up in arms. And, and again, not to criticize or judge the intentions of so many people who mean well, but yeah. we're fighting this the wrong way. We're going about in such a time where God is saying, what you just said, Brother Marty, can't you see, can't you understand what's coming and look at the approach of the disciples is the same way the people of God as a whole, in many ways, not everybody, is approaching and fighting this. And, and, and that's yeah. what I was thinking about as you were talking, Brother Marty. No, that's really good. And and what you mentioned earlier, because I think you're quoting verse 35, 36, um, He's alerting them to a journey they're about to take. In verse 35, Mm -hmm. he tells them, when I sent you without a purse, without scrip, without shoes, did you lack anything? 
And they said, we didn't lack anything. And he says, but now, he that has a purse, let him take it. He that has scrip, let him. He that has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. The operative word that he's trying to get them to understand is you're going into a transition period now. And, 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 and what was easily made available to you before is no longer going to be that way. You're going to have to make provision. And in terms of the sword, which many have debated what he was saying, it, it must be understood from the perspective of you're being sent. So it's a journey you're about to take. He's not telling them to buy a sword to be aggressive. He's telling them to prepare in case they need to defend themselves. It's a huge difference, which we'll see as we get into the, the rest of the story today, because that's what Peter does. He uses the sword in an aggressive manner. How Jesus was presenting it is there's nothing wrong about defending yourself when aggression comes to you, is if that's how the Lord leads you. And in their case, that is how he, he led them. And he says, look, uh, times are changing. Prophetic times are at hand. And what you've known to this point is all going to change. Uh, I'm telling you now, you better provide for yourself and you better be cautious. That's really what the sword represents, is a cautious attitude of defense, not offense, precisely because what's coming. So that's a good point, Brother Jeremy. So now, and, and, and read the, to us. Brother, brother, I'm sorry, Brother. I, I just wanted to say this last thing that I think is very interesting. You point you uh you 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 said about the question that Jesus asked his disciples: Can you partake? Or can you eat of this same bread that I eat? And I think about the millions of people who partake of communion in their churches, and I have a feeling that we don't understand <laughs> the responsibility that that comes with. I don't know if that makes sense, that when we partake of the Lord's body, the Lord's Supper, communion, we are in essence saying we are willing to die for you just as you did suffer and partake of your suffering. That's what we're doing when we eat and drink of the cup, you know, that represents the, the blood, the new covenant of the New Testament. And I, yeah. I, I was just thinking about that, how many times we partake of communion and we don't even understand what that means and the responsibility that it comes with it. I just wanted to bring that out. Oh, that's very true and, uh, and a good point to make. Now, let's, let's, let's move on to, to, uh, to Luke 22. Read, could you read to us verse 39 and verse 40, Brother Jeremy? And he came out and went, and, and as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. Now he's leading them uh, <laughs> to Gethsemane, right? And, <clears throat> and it says something very interesting. His disciples followed him there. There are those in this moment that that's where they understand they're following his leading. And, and really what Gethsemane is, if it's anything, is the surrendering of one's will to the perfect will of God. Understanding is acquired there as well. You cannot force God's will. 
you must enter into seeking his will. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging your own will because the Lord said so. If there's any other way, Father, let this cup pass from me. But he he, he interjected right away, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will be done. So in many ways, that is what Gethsemane is all about. It's the understanding of the will of God. Now, we're talking about incredibly deep things here. Because what Brother Marty is telling you and what the scriptures are revealing to us is that that kind of understanding is absolutely paramount in causing us to receive strength from God and also as an anchor for our soul to endure what lies ahead according to the scriptures. Now, no, I, I forget how Paul said it, but it's like no correction, you know, um, or or hard things revealed is pleasant at the moment. But afterwards, he said it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. There is a surrendering to the inevitable. The Lord was never one to hide what the mission and the purpose was. And what makes them so unique is they are unique amongst generations where they witnessed uh, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord, their prophetic time. And as we know, Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Everything that they're experiencing as we're discussing it are all miniature pictures of the larger time at the end. And we'll get into that in a second. But, but it's Gethsemane that he leads us to. And it's there that we must understand and determine the surrendering of our will and the giving way to a higher embrace and, and connection to a much larger purpose purposes of the Father God himself. Many things as he started out telling them and we began discussing in the in the scriptures here, many things are revealing that something's being born. You know, Paul addressed this in Romans chapter eight, where he talked about all creation groaning together. And and he uses that that phrase travailing together until now. And he says that what is being awaited is the manifestation of the sons of God. And, and, and then he goes even deeper and begins to talk about that travail and that groaning actually being the, the perfect travail of the Holy Spirit within every generation of believers. That's why he goes on and talks about when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit of God prays for us. Well, what he's travailing in us, it, it, you know, we reach the, the apex of our own understanding, even, even amongst the greatest sages of us. It must give way to the Spirit. And the travail, the groaning of the Holy Spirit is praying the mind and the will of God. And, 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 and it's connected to the manifestation of the sons of God. In other words, the culmination. That's why Jesus said, these things have an end. Understand, he said. They have an end, a desired and and uh, and and arrived at destination 
tied directly to the revealed plan of God within the prophetic writings of the scriptures of the holy prophets Moses and and the holy apostles themselves and the words that the Lord spoke while he was here. So now he leads them to Gethsemane, a place that they really didn't want to be. In many ways, this million-man march into Washington tomorrow, primarily led by, by evangelical Pentecostals and Charismatics throughout the South, really, um, is, is a last-ditch effort to, to lay hold on something that, that many at the depth of their being are fearfully coming alive to the understanding that they're about to lose everything they've ever known and so they're being moved now to go fight for it but on a much larger and intricate context of prophetic unfolding at the end of time this is precisely the wrong thing to do because it it reveals number one that we are a culture within the community of the church completely devoid of understanding of what is actually unfolding before our eyes and so our responses to it, the way that we conduct ourselves in it, the uh, the desperation or the emotional responses, all of them are incorrect. It is by the Spirit and only by the Spirit through the Word of God that we must govern ourselves. And that's why Jesus continually told them, it is written. The Scriptures have to be fulfilled. You need to understand that. That's what he was telling them. So now he reveals to them, really, you don't need swords. What you really need and what we really need and what he was telling them uh, and what we must now understand <laughs> that we really need is what he said in verse 40. Can you read verse 40, Brother Jeremy? And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. So the first thing he says, what you really need is prayer. How is your prayer life out there? Because what he's revealing is, I've brought you to the place now. This is the place you're at. That's what he said, because that's what it says in verse 40, when he was at the place. Do you recognize the place that we're in, church? Do you really? Because he's led us here. He's allowed us to come to this place. And what is he telling us here? Keep them swords really sharp. You know, let, 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 uh, may I change my mind? We're going to overthrow everything, Rome, the, the, the Sanhedrin, everything, man. I'm not going to proclaim myself king. You know, it just dawned on me. Maybe I should have done it early. I'm going to do it now. And they didn't say any of that. He brought them to that place. And the first thing he says is you need to pray. And the reason you need to pray is so that you do not enter into temptation. In other words, pray. So that you may uphold up under the pressure that's about to transpire. And the word temptation means to be put on trial. The times themselves, brothers and sisters, are going to put us on trial. It's already begun. The heat is just being turned up. We're, we're only simmering right now. It hasn't come anywhere near to a boil. But it's about to and quickly. And, and that's why he tells them, you need to pray. You need to seek God, specifically that you don't enter into this 
scrutiny. The scrutiny that he's talking about is satanic scrutiny. That's what the word enter means. It means to come into a place, and one of the meanings is where Satan himself will seek to take possession of your mind. Why is that? You know, everybody's being refined, in other words. And he says, you need to pray that that kind of thing, that kind of scrutiny, that kind of test doesn't come upon you. Peter, in many senses, represents many in the last days who will experience that kind of testing and fail miserably. They won't be lost, but what happens in the garden is going to absolutely shake their faith. And what's coming and what's beginning is already shaking people's faith. And, and, and everything that they thought they were oriented in and what they understood about Christ and the true mission uh, of the church, and, and in their case, his mission, is going to be brought under scrutiny. It's always in Gethsemane, and he leads us there, a small picture of an end-time absolute truth as it pertains to the disciples. Christ himself, on the other hand, went through the travail and became the beginning of the creation of God as he was declared to be the Son of God by the Spirit of Holiness on Resurrection Day. I want to tell you something. That's what we need most of all, because we're going to need it. He, it. Jesus doesn't mince his words. He tells us exactly what we need to do. Now listen, while we can't for sure know where tomorrow is going to lead, I have a really good sense of what I think is going to happen. But I can tell you, it is very much not Washington, D.C. we're being gathered to right now. It is, if you have eyes to see, Gethsemane. We're being brought to a place as a nation. Specifically his church now I'm talking about. This has been predicted since the days of Daniel. Do you remember what the angel told Daniel? That a Gethsemane was going to, to await in the end time. Let's take a look at that. Uh, Brother Jeremy, could you read, in, in I think it's Daniel chapter 11. Yes, Daniel 11. Let's turn over there and see what Daniel reveals about Gethsemane. Daniel 11, verse 33 through 35. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity and by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. And some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. So we do no violence to the scriptures. We see that the same thing that the Lord and his disciples went up under, this trial, this, this scrutiny, this testing in Gethsemane, is really, was really a foreshadow of what would come on the believer. And the angel says, in the time of the end, in the future time appointed, we know the time of the end is the last time. And that's where we've come to. What he says in verse 33 is very interesting because he begins to describe what, what many are going to experience, all of us really, but they that understand 
among the people uh, will will instruct many. There, there are those who understand the times. They, they they sense and see, and they have they have the perspective by which they can they can instruct and and, and help. But what's interesting is the next word yet. In other words, they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall, and he gives the list. The word fall doesn't literally mean backslide, but it does mean, and it can mean that, but it literally means to stumble. Because what he's talking about is purification, purging, making them white, trial, all of that's coming up underneath. Everyone's going to experience this. And then he gives a list of three things. Actually, uh, four things. The sword, the flame, captivity, and spoil. These are going to be the things that we experience and already are experiencing them, whether you realize it or not. But the stumbling at the sword and the flame. What's being revealed there by the angel is this response we're seeing now. The sword, uh, again, and the flame literally means the tip of the spear. That's what he's talking about, a fiery tip of the spear. It was an aggressive, offensive move move in the military. They would light their spears on fire and move forward and attack, right? <clears throat> he says that those of the understanding, it appears here that what's being revealed is that <clears throat> what they're going to stumble at is the sword and the flaming tip of the spear, the, the desire or, or the conclusion to take up arms. They're going to stumble at what's coming and their response will be sword and flame. It, it's much like the militia, right? I mean, the, the, the attitude uh, that they'll have in response to the times will cause them to stumble. And the stumbling is actually equated with wrong choices. I don't want to belabor that, but that's what we see happening. Now, listen, the second thing is that captivity is coming. I think it was in the summer when God had us discussing Jeremiah we felt by the Spirit then that a captivity was coming. It had already begun. That the entire Western civilized world was going to be brought into captivity. That the church in America was the final stand. The last one to the party, so to speak. The last one to get it. Because of their compromise. Because of their egregious frivolity and 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 swimming in the pool of the world and bringing it into the house of God, it deadened their spiritual senses to where they no longer need their Bibles. And now they walk around like soothsayers and diviners and they claim that it's God. And now precisely when they need the revelation of the spirit, they have absolutely nothing. And their, their spiritual leaders, they've been weighed in the balance, man. That's what 2020 was all about. Weighed in the balance and found wanting. And now here we are. And yet there's those that are called the understanding. Their initial thing will be to take up sword, take up the tip of the flaming spear, as it's written there. But it is to their detriment. It'll cause them to stumble. The second thing is the captivity, what some are going to endure. A great captivity has, has ensnared the world. We talked about what Jesus said. Like a snare, it's going to come upon all them going to wake up one day and go, oh my God, that's what you see a million people marching to Washington to do. They've woken up, but they've woken up and responded in the wrong way. I'm not saying God can't turn this thing around, but not without the requirements laid forth in scripture that tell you how to do it as a nation. 
I'm talking about a deep, and I'm starting with myself, a deep and sincere, heart-wrenching, naked, open, and honest reflection and confession and, and cleansing before God Almighty and ask him to spare us what's ahead. That's the only thing. Unfortunately, I don't see it. And 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 hence we are already under captivity. It's going to cause people to stumble. And then finally, the spoil. That's the last thing he talks about: the sword, the flame, captivity, and spoil. What that literally means is they'll they're going to take away your goods. They're coming for everything that you that you own. I've been telling you guys to read. COVID-19 and the Great Global Reset that was released in July by the World Economic Forum, the head of it, Klaus Schwab, Davos, and all their guys over there, the globalists, they told us what they want to do. Or or read the the coming fourth industrial revolution written by the same knucklehead. They're telling you what they want to do, and they're doing it right now before our eyes. What they want to do, and if you ever take the time to at least pay attention and and dig into what's happening, you're going to realize what they're trying to do. Wave after wave after wave, a perpetual sickness and disease. Uh, There was an article that the infamous Cardinal Vigano, let me get it real quick. And uh, he says something, this is from two days ago. He says something about the globalists that I found incredibly enlightening here. Um, he talks about this. He says, uh, on the other hand, we have the deep state of the self-styled Catholic Joe Biden, who is subservient to the globalist ideology and its perverse, listen to his words, it's perverse, anti-human, anti-Christ, infernal agenda. He's saying that what we are witnessing right now is a move by the global elite to enslave the world to an antichrist agenda. He says we need to become aware of how much the proponents of the new world order and the great reset hate the inalienable values of our Christian civilization and of family, respect for life, and the inviolable rights of the human person and national sovereignty. And in another place of this this incredible thing that he talks about, he says, we need to become aware of what globalism's plan is and to what extent it is instrumental to the establishment of the kingdom of the Antichrist, since it shares its principles, its means, and its ends. We need to firmly denounce this infernal plan and asking the shepherds of the church and also the laity to defend the church and to break with their complicit silence because God is going to demand of them an account for their desertion of the word of Almighty God. Incredible what he says. He goes on, and I don't have time to to get into all of it, but he begins to talk about their desire, and, and it's really straight out of the book uh, of, of what I was talking to you about. They're, what they are attempting to do is to release or at least create the perception 
of a pandemic, one after the other after the other. I believe that's what this mutation is all about. And what this is doing is causing the economy of the world to completely shut down. And what that's going to do is cause people to become more and more spoiled, so to speak. The goods are, are being taken away. It, it's, it's absolutely incredible. It's the violation of human rights. It's the violation of freedom. It's the violation of everything that we've ever known and held dear. But see, it's crept on us over the last 30, 40 years. And now we're marching with, with our two swords and we're trying to take back uh, what we think we're spiritually entitled to. And it's too late. That's what Jesus tried to tell them. This isn't the time. What's actually here is what the prophet said would happen. Whether you can see it or not, that's exactly what's going on. And 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 you know, so he tried. Marty, Go ahead. Um, I I think I think what we're seeing in in, in the world, and in particular our nation, um, with what they're int intending to do, which is completely uh, deconstruct our Judeo-Christian beliefs uh, here in the West and in America in particular, um, and, and change our very constitution, and for for Christians to think that that's our battle to uphold the Constitution, uh, the American Constitution, it's foolish. Because we Christians have been given a divine Constitution, which is the Word of God, right? And that yeah. is what we have not upheld. So, so you wonder why the world... America is in the mess we're in because the preachers do not uphold the divine constitution, the word of God, the very thing that guides us. And that's why we find ourselves in the situation we're in. Just want to throw that in there, brother. No, that's absolutely right. Listen to what Cardinal Vigano says in his latest thing. This is from two days ago. He says, the plan of the Great Reset makes use of the mainstream media. We've seen that as an indispensable ally. The media corporations are almost all actively part of the deep state and know that the power that will be guaranteed to them in the future depends exclusively on their slavish adherence to the new Antichrist agenda. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying, but this man is saying it's incredible. Labeling those who denounce the existence of a conspiracy as conspiracy theorists confirms, if anything, that this conspiracy exists and that its authors are very upset at having been found out and reported to in public opinion. And yet they themselves have said it. Nothing will be the same again. Also, build back better in an effort to make us believe that the radical changes they want to impose have been made necessary by a pandemic, by climate change, and by technological progress. Years ago, those who spoke of the New World Order were, were called conspiracy theorists. But today, all the world leaders, including the Pope, speak with impunity about the New World Order, describing it exactly in the terms that were identified by the so-called conspiracy theorists, or and I'd like to throw in there, the prophets of God, in the Word. It is enough to read the globalist declarations to understand that the conspiracy exists. 
and that they pride themselves on being its architects to the point of admitting the need for a pandemic in order to reach their objectives and social engineering. To the skeptics, I asked, if the models that are proposed to us today are so terrible, what will our children be able to expect when the elite will have succeeded in taking control over every nation of the world? Families without fathers and mothers, Paula armory, sodomy, children who can change their sex, cancellation of religion, the imposition of an infernal cult, abortion, euthanasia, the abolition of private property. That's Daniel. Spoiled, right? We were just talking about it. A health dictatorship, listen to this, with perpetual pandemics. Is this the world that we want, that you want for yourselves, your children, your family, and friends? But see, he's revealing what he has access to at high levels. This is a man who was the chief ambassador from the Vatican to the United States, as we've told you before. He has inside info to churches all over the world and walks in the halls of the elite. And we have right before our eyes exactly what the Bible said would happen. A false church headed by a false uh, one that looks like a lamb but speaks as a dragon in cahoots with a beast system. And we are right there. That's why tomorrow is so dangerous. They are not going to let this stand. The only thing that will save this country right now is God himself. And like I said, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen when it all you know, comes out in the wash, as they say. But our focus is what is Jesus Christ telling his church? What is the Spirit saying? And we believe it's exactly what he's saying here, is that we are at the place and that what we must be about doing right now is seeking God, especially men, those of you in charge of your houses, your children. My God, wake up. Seriously speaking, we need to wake up because everything is about to be tested. It's already begun. Maybe you just don't understand it. He said they will fall by the temptation to take up arms. They will fall ultimately by the captivity that's come upon the whole world. They will, they will fall because they're coming for your goods. Let me tell you something. What is being worked out in Europe while we've been looking at all this mess in our own country, if you've been paying attention? There are, there are economic things that have been set in motion from the dragon to the beast, and it's been set in motion. The, the trade-off is that the International Monetary Fund is going to fund what we've been calling universal basic income. In other words, they're going to destroy the economy of the world, enslaving billions of people who can no longer earn a living. The trade-off is going to be, we'll take care of you, but you're going to have to take this mark. You're going to have to do what we tell you to do. Oh, and by the way, since it's being funded by the World Bank, the International Monetary Fund, in exchange for Big Brother taking care of you, we're going to have to take your property. It's, 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 it's a trade-off. No man will be able to buy, sell, or trade, or do anything. That's what's happening. And they have yet to realize it on many levels. 
This is the scrutiny we're talking about. Verse 34 says what, Brother Jeremy, as we heard? And when he was at the place, he said unto them, verse pray. Seven of Daniel. Oh, verse 34. I'm sorry. 734. So what chapter again, Brother Marty? Chapter 11, 11 right? Okay. Hmm? Now when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. So what he's revealing here is exactly why Jesus says you better pray because the trial, the scrutiny, and the things that are going to come against you will cause you to stumble. But here's a warning by the angel. When they stumble over these things, he says there's going to be very little aid. You're going to have very little help. And he says, but what's going to come behind that are those that will cleave to them with flatteries. In other words, smooth words, trying to intertwine themselves with what they're going through. The temptation, because iniquity abound, the love of many shall wax cold. When the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Will you be able to endure? Will you be able to stand? During this hour of trial, the angel is saying many won't because the enemy is going to be right there to say, look, man, you know, we're, <laughs> why are you going through this? I mean, that's what he's talking about. There's going to be little aid and, and there's going to be those who then immediately rush in and try to, with flatteries or smooth things, bring them up out of their distress and they'll fall away. However, False promises. Yeah. Verse 35 says what? Says, and some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. This is our Gethsemane, the appointed time, the place, if you will. So he, he, he delineates between two types of understanding people, those that will ultimately fall and, and will, will fall through a series of, of testing. The, the test to want to take up arms and resist, the, the test of being brought up under the captivity of the global reset, and the spoiling of their goods, the stripping away of everything. It'll break them down, and then to fill the void of their, of their di disillusionment will come those probably from that other side, the dark side, if you will, saying, come on, you don't need to go through this. But then there'll be others he talks about. That's who the disciples represent. That's what the end-time church represents. He says they'll stumble, but they're not going to stumble in the, in the other ways. Their stumbling leads them to, to being tried for refinement. That's what that word literally means. It's, it's meant to refine them. It's a momentary shaking, this stumbling up under the weight. Like we talked about Abraham yesterday when he transitions into the type of the Great Tribulation period. It says... A, a terror of great darkness fell upon him. It's kind of like that, you know. It's like this, this, this thing will fall upon those that understand the weight of it. It'll shake them, but it's not going to cause them to be carried away. Instead, the response is they will be refined. Try them. They will be purged. That is to make bright through the test. That's literally what that means. You're going to begin to reflect what Isaiah predicted. Arise and shine for thy light has come. He first says, behold, gross darkness 
shall cover the world, right? The earth and gross darkness, the people. But, but, but the light of God will arise upon his children and will be seen upon his children, Isaiah chapter 60. That's what we're seeing here. What he's saying is that there'll be a shaking, but it's a trying, it's a refining. It's going to work the opposite of those who fall by the sword, by the flame, by the captivity or the spoil. These group, the understanding, the wise that he goes on to in Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, to call those who understand. These are the ones who will have the light of God uh, upon them, and they'll be made white. They become the altars. That's literally what that means. It's, it's a living sacrifice, whatever the fate may be, whether to be absent from my body and be instantly in the presence of the Lord, or to endure until the sound of the final trumpet when he calls us home at the time of the end, which is which time is just ahead of us. Either way, we are living sacrifices. <laughs> so, when Gethsemane's prophetic moment came in their time, it really reminds me of the danger many who are in the crowd tomorrow will face. It's a danger, spiritual or natural. It's a danger. And how they are reacting now and how they will react when it begins really to dawn on them that what they thought they knew about what the Lord has been saying has been incorrect. They will react in the wrong way. They are, in my opinion, reacting in the wrong way right now. Brother Jeremy, turn over to Matthew 26, would you? This is how they're reacting. And I think it is a temptation to react this way. I get it. I'm not saying your motives are bad and all that. But he said to understand the times, right? Understand your prophetic times. Yeah. 26. Uh, let's see. Verse 51. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. That's how he responded. Even after all those things that Jesus had told him. When the push came to shove, when the moment came, because prophecy is being fulfilled. you got Judas, you've got the fallen church component, and they're about to lead him to the beast system, which is Pontius Pilate and the Roman government. All of it now comes into the garden. His response, once it dawns on him, is to whip out his weapon and to try and resist it by offensive means, military means, however you want to call it. What did Jesus tell him, Brother Jeremy, in verse 52 through 54? Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then... But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Yes, thus it must be. Again, he reorients them. What does he tell him? Put up your sword. Brothers and sisters, if you're listening, and I know that some of you have told me that you're going to this march, and I know you listen to our podcast every day, and if you happen to catch this before tomorrow morning, put up your sword. 
I'm not saying you're wrong for being there. The sword that you need is prayer. Be careful because there's people that are there tomorrow. They're going to want to start some trouble. You got the National Guard being deployed by by the mayor of Washington, D.C. You got a million people. You got those people called the Proud Boys claiming that they're going to dress all in black so they can blend in with Antifa and start a fight. And no one will know who's Antifa and who ain't. You got some crazy people there right now. And you have some really sincere, decent people trying to do what they think is, is their moment. Just as Peter thought, this is the moment. They've come for him. I'm going to take out my sword and institute God's kingdom on the earth. It's time for him to be the Messiah. No, it's not, Peter. No, it's not. There's scripture that needs to be fulfilled. Put your sword away. And then verse 33, he, he reorients him and says, look at the big picture here. This isn't about here. It's never been about here and this world. He says, if I wanted to, I could ask my father. And he'd send me 12 legion of angels. That's astounding to me because he had just gone through his Gethsemane experience seeking a way out. And even now he knows I can ask my father. The only one that will be left is me and the angels and the father. But I could ask him. But then he, he, he again directs us to scripture. There are things that have to be fulfilled. It's written. And if we resist this, we're resisting the will of God. Something greater is coming. Listen, the Lord had to step in right here. He had to step in and stop what could have been a slaughter. Are you listening to me? You who think that we're going to overthrow the government, that you have some grandiose idea that this is, this is the Revolutionary War. And who the heck is our George Washington, by the way? In this whole thing. I mean, come on, man. Seriously. Put up your sword, Peter. These are prophetic times. You just don't get it yet. He had to step in. The Lord stepped in to prevent a, a total slaughter at that moment. Church, we need to grow up. These are prophetic times. Think of it. Had Peter and them, and them decided to go ahead and, and, and follow through, if Jesus hadn't stepped in and stopped this madness, the whole church could have been derailed right there in Gethsemane. The prophetic times would have been destroyed, and the kingdom of darkness would never have been overcome. That's what this is about. These are the last days of the satanic will. They're dying. These have been prophesied in the scriptures by the holy prophets of old, the apostles of Jesus himself, and Moses, man, told us these days would be here. What you are resisting, though you don't know it, is the final days of satanic kingdoms. They're coming down. And what must happen before we get there is what we are seeing here and what the Lord was telling Peter. You cannot fight this. The scriptures are going to be fulfilled. We read in Daniel, that's what he said. It's coming. It's been foretold. He had to stop it. Think of the implications of this. They would have slaughtered them all. It might have even cost Jesus his life by one of the soldiers there. Of course, God would have never let that happen because God's in control. But think of it. He would have never gone to the cross. All his disciples would have been dead in the garden. We would have had no apostles. We would have had, think big picture, church. Let the Lord lead us. 
He led them there. He led them out. He drew them to the word. He drew them to the prophets. Let's close with this, brothers. In John chapter 18. Could you turn there, Brother Jeremy, real quick? John chapter 18. Uh, if you could read verse 4 through 6 for me, would you? Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Just what he does, he puts himself between him and his church, his apostles, right? But what we're also seeing here in many ways is the Lord stepping in to protect him, yeah. But in many ways, this is what he's doing now. He's trying to prevent us from making the same huge mistakes. <laughs> This is really also a display, if you will, of, of, of what will be at his second coming. It's as if he inserted this in the garden. Because when he returns again, it's not going to be uh, for sin unto salvation, right? He's returning to be uh, the rightful king and heir of this planet. And with the spirit of his, of his mouth, he's going to destroy his enemies. All he did was speak to them, and they fell backwards. This is Revelation chapter 19 and 20 right here. This is him returning. He's just giving a little hint there. This is what's coming in the end. So much is being worked out. We ain't got time to get into all this, but it's very profound and powerful. Knowing what was coming on him, he went and met it head on. That is the kind of quality that we need to begin to ask the Lord for. Give us this quality. Give us this this spirit of Christ in us to meet this time head on. Look at the power that the Lord displayed and anchor our souls knowing that he's coming back again and he's going to destroy his enemy. In verse 7, 8, and 9, can you read that, Brother Jeremy? Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. And the saying might, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake of them, which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Again, in many ways, this is what he's doing now. He's trying to prevent us from making huge mistakes. Understand, he's protecting them but he's fulfilling prophecy. He, he steps in. And, and what we know happened, right, as, as, we, <laughs> as we read the rest of it um, and, and, and on our own time, right, they would all scatter and flee. You know, that's the trial. I, I fear many people are going to do the same thing right now. John followed him all the way there, the beloved disciple, right? He's the one the book of Revelation was revealed to. He's the only disciple that, that lived all the way through a natural life, very much symbolic of the final church that will be alive and remain when he comes. But they all scattered. John followed. 
but they all scattered because they reacted to prophetic times in the wrong way when what they thought and their expected end suddenly didn't turn out the way they thought they they became fearful and under and and they they had no no orientation and they scattered Many of these people, and I love them with all my heart, they're going to wake up and realize what's actually happening. And again, I don't question motives. I don't want nothing bad to happen. Are you crazy? I'm not some kind of a masochist. I just know what the word is telling us. And I I and my brothers would be remiss if we didn't tell you what we see. You can take it or leave it. You can be mad at us if you want to. But we ain't got time to play around anymore. We love you enough to tell you the truth. Prepare. Be ready. Trust me. I believe that's what the Lord is saying. Let us pray that we enter not into temptation, right? Let us understand there is a cup that remains to be drank for the for the end time church. Again, let's close with this in verse 10 and 11. Can you read that 10 and 11, Brother Jeremy? Then Simon, Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? That's the question, right? It's the question he asked Peter. That's the question he's asking his church today. That's the question he's asking all of us. There's a cup to be to be taken and to be drank. The fellowship of his sufferings is the end-time church. It's the faith and the patience of the saints that John wrote about. It's really what we're seeing here. Put up your sword, Peter. These are prophetic times. Understand them. And also understand that when we come out the other end, we'll be standing in the kingdom of Almighty God. Be good to each other. Pay attention. Be praying. As we're praying for you, pray for us. Pray for our nation and our brothers who gather tomorrow in Washington, D.C. Put up your sword, Peter. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. The scriptures must be fulfilled. God bless you. We'll see you on Thursday, Lord willing. Brother Fernando, Brother Jeremy. Share your closing thoughts, would you? Amen. It's a pivotal time in our nation's uh, uh, history um, of the likes we've never seen before. Um, To simplify our walk, um, to to simplify everything that that we said, and, and you stated it at the beginning, and it's something that it's lacking in the body of Christ. Um, and we know that to be a fact. Um, just look at all the nonsense that's being said behind pulpits and the people that are following these preachers. 
uh, one can only come to the conclusion that uh, we have a church that speaks about God but does not speak to him. Huh. And what what we need in this particular time is for God's people, his remnant people, to seek God, to seek his presence, and ask for divine intervention, really, yeah. and ultimately for his will to be done. Yeah. That's really what it's all about, you know, the, the, the cup that you spoke about that we must all drink from. It's it's really not to so much to change course. That's not really what that cup is about. It's just to embrace what he has chosen for us. That's good. Amen. And whatever it is that he has chosen for us, then that's what we must be praying for. And we must let the Holy Spirit pray through us and show us what it is that he has chosen for us. It may not be what we want, but it is what is going to ultimately purify us and prepare us for his coming. Praise God. Amen. The Bible says of Jesus in Luke 9, 51, you just spoke about embrace, Brother Fernando. It came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. Jesus, he steadfast, steadfastly set his faith to go to Jerusalem. He embraced it. As you said, we must do the same. To you, our listening audience, tomorrow all eyes are going to be upon this nation, specifically upon Washington, where millions of people will over a million people are going to gather and a lot of them evangelical Christians who who have this faith. But we must ask the question, are we being gathered in such a time like this to Washington? Or do you have eyes to see after hearing this that possibly, no, that is that we are not being gathered to Washington, but we are gathering to a Gethsemane. And that's what we need to understand. While all the focus is there, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear understand that truly a body of Christ, the body of Christ is being gathered to a Gethsemane. I pray that all of us have ears to hear and eyes to see what God has warned us about today and spoken to us today. I want to remind you tomorrow we will not be uh, we will not be having a podcast unless we are prompted another way. But keep your eyes, be praying, keep your eyes open, keep your families close, and keep looking up.